We're going to be on, in Acts chapter 6, um, whatever page that is in your Bible, so um, find that. And, um, and we're going to begin right in verse 1. This is what we read. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists. Now, the Hellenists, that would be the, the Greek Jews or, or Jews, people who, who had Jewish beliefs but were of Greek origin. And a, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Before I get started today, I want to kind of just take a scenic detour off the topic. And I want to say thank you to those of you uh, who helped us with the memorial service for Royce Bratcher yesterday. Those of you who provided uh, the meal and, and some of the help. I know several of our ladies, Nancy and Nita and um, Judy, and I know I'm forgetting somebody, Ginger, and who am I forgetting? Forgetting somebody? Anyway, but we, we thank you all for all of your help, and, and it really made a difference. I know the Bratcher family was really grateful for that, and so glad to have so many of the Bratcher family here today. So welcome, and, and uh, just make, yeah, go ahead and make yourself at home. Um, so, so this passage in, in uh, Acts chapter 6, we have um, been spending the last few weeks talking about the way that God has ordered the church, how he determined that the church, not just this church, this group of believers, but the entire church, the entire body of Christ, since its beginning in the first century, how he ordained that it should be ordered, how it should be governed. We learned a couple weeks ago that the head of the church, you know, a lot of times people show up and they want to ask who's in charge here. Is the pastor in charge? Is there some denominational leader? Is there some board of directors? And, and the clear answer to that question, and, and I said it over and over, not in pretend, but in actuality, the, the head of the church is Jesus Christ. He is in charge, period. End of discussion. Now, what God has done so that there can be some direction is that he has ordained human agents in the eldership. He uses the agency of eldership. Um, But what we find in this passage is, now let me pause right there and say that if you heard that message last week, you can think, well, I don't really feel like I'm called to be an elder. Now, I hope some of you who aren't elders are called to be elders because we will always need new elders. And then the Bible says, I said this 
this last week, that it's a noble thing. It's a good thing to feel that calling. But, but you might feel, you know, I thought about it. I really don't feel that. And you might think, well, so the, there's this elite group of people that lead the church, and, and, and that's all that, you know, that's all the leadership opportunity. So if I'm not one of those guys, I'm just a spectator. You could not be more wrong. You absolutely could not be more wrong about that. And I want to show you that today. There's actually another group of people, another set of agents, as I, I termed them, that is vital to the proper functioning of the church of Jesus Christ. And it's a lar- larger number. And that group would be the deacons. And we don't talk about deacons a lot here, but we're going to be talking about them more and more. A deacon is a servant-hearted person who loves Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do this. But if I asked you to raise your hand if that applies to you, are you a servant-hearted person? Do you love Jesus Christ? I hope that almost all of your hands would go up. A deacon is a servant-hearted person who loves Jesus, who is full of the Spirit, and who does whatever is necessary to allow the elders to accomplish their God-given calling, their God-given calling of shepherding and teaching the church. That's what deacons do. Most Bible scholars see this passage we just read in Acts chapter 6 as kind of the inauguration of deacon ministry, although that word is not even mentioned in this passage. Now, in fact, the word deacon or deacons, if you were looking for it in your Bible, it's only used just a handful of times in English translations of the Bible. And there's a reason for that. The reason is the word deacon comes from a very, very generally used Greek word, uh, which is diakonos. Now, diakonos, it just simply means servant. That's what it means, diakonos. It's translated, in fact, that word, that Greek word diakonos, is translated a whole bunch of different ways in your New Testament, English New Testament. For example, sometimes it's given as deacon, like we're talking about today. Sometimes it's given as servant. Sometimes it's given as attendant. Um, And it's used not only in reference to those serving in the church, but in different places in the New Testament. It's used uh, of angels, it's used of government rulers, it's used of false apostles, and it's even used of Jesus Christ. Now, since the Greek word is identical in all 31 uses, the times it shows up in the New Testament, since the Greek word is absolutely identical, the context of each passage becomes incredibly important to understanding the intended use of the word when we stumble upon it in Scripture. But the reason why that's important is because in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul takes this very common word, diakonos, and and he, he does this. He applies it to an official church office one that we call the deacon. And, and Paul says, okay, I'm going to use this word, this word that means servant, and I'm going to, going to elevate it and apply it to this particular church office. And the prototype of this office that we're talking about today is what we see there in Acts chapter 6. So let's take a closer look at that passage again in Acts chapter 6. It begins, so you're reading along, Acts chapter 1, the church gathers, or the, the disciples gather. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out. Acts chapter 3 and 4 and 5, uh, different things are happening in, in the ministry of the church, and miracles are happening, and persecution's happening, all kinds of things are happening. You get to Acts chapter 6, and it begins with one of the first major church controversy that is just on the brink of blowing into a full-blown church scandal, big time. What's happened is this church, this newfound church, these, this body of believers, everybody's loving each other, everybody's getting along just fine, 
And, and this thing happens where the church, even though they're committed to taking care of the less fortunate as evidence for the truth of the gospel they're preaching, they were doing a great job of making sure that charity for native-born Jewish widows is being distributed like clockwork. Uh, all the while they're doing that, the fact is that the, the, the Jewish widows of Greek origin were often neglected and they were left to go hungry. And so there was this, among those Greek Jews, there was this understandable outcry about this. There was this cry of unfair. This is not fair. Why are they getting taken care of and ours aren't getting taken care of? And, and what the apostles could have done is they could have well, I said, oh gosh, we got to put everything on hold, deal with this problem. We don't want it to blow up the church. And rolled up their sleeves and addressed the problem. But guess what? You saw it in the text. They didn't do that. They did not stop what they were doing. What were they doing? They were teaching this brand new church and the people that were just streaming into it. They were teaching them the gospel of Jesus Christ, proving from the scriptures that he was who he says he was, that he had done what he said he did, and giving their eyewitness testimony of his suffering and his resurrection. They're doing all that. And so this is the conclusion that they come to. They say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So they, what they were saying here. They weren't saying that they were too elite to do that. They're saying, look, we've got a real problem, but we're called to a specific thing. And so we're going to figure out how to address this problem, but it's not going to be us who are doing the addressing. Now, this is important because they were recognizing the specifics of their calling. And not only the specifics of their calling, they were recognizing the boundaries of their calling. Did you know that not everyone who leads in a church is called to do everything in that church. Did you know that? Everyone is not, it's not, it's not everybody's responsibility. Now I try to give as much to Paul as I can, but it's not everybody's responsibility to lead everything and do everything and juggle everything in the church. And they knew that. They knew what they were called to do, teaching, proclaiming, instructing, discipling. They knew what they were called to do and they were committed to doing that. See, a lot of ministries absolutely implode or explode because they're led by one key leader who's a superstar. And, and instead of recognizing and allowing everybody's gift to be utilized, they just kind of do it all themselves. And no one can keep doing that. No one can. So with great wisdom, the apostles picked seven men to compassionately and justly handle a very real administrative problems, logistics problems, and if we're honest, even a PR problem. They said, hey, we're going to pick you guys, you're going to figure this one out and get it taken care of. But what I want you to notice, did you notice the kind of men that the apostles picked? They didn't say, okay, we need to see some resumes here, and if you... Let a CEO, if you are the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or if you have great management skills and sign up because we want you to do this. No, they didn't do that. What kind of people did they choose? They weren't mainly concerned with great managers. They had, when they said they were going to do this, they had three distinct qualifications. The first one was that they were looking for men of good repute. What they wanted First of all, above everything else, was men of the highest integrity. That was more important than their management skills. 
Right after the list of qualifications for an elder, you might remember we read those last week, the list of qualifications for an elder that we find in 1 Timothy 3, what Paul goes on to do is he lists the qualifications for a deacon. Let me read that to you. 1 Timothy 3.8, it says, Deacons likewise must be dignified. They must not be double-tongued. They must not be addicted to much wine. They must not be greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And then he says, and let them be also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Now, what I want you to notice about the list from last week and this week is that the, the, the uh, list from elders to deacons really doesn't vary that much. A lot of those qualifications are the exact same qualifications that we saw for eldership. The one key difference is that the deacons are not required to be able to teach like the elders are. Next, he says, not only are they to be men of uh, good repute or great repute, but it says that they ought to be people who are full of the Spirit. What does that indicate? It means that, first of all, and this should not be rocket science, they should be believers, amen? Probably should be followers of Jesus Christ. They should be genuinely in relationship with Jesus Christ with the evidence of being full of his spirit. And and that means also being rooted in God's word. That's what Paul means in 1 Timothy where we just read where he says they must hold the mystery of the faith. Where's the mystery of the faith revealed? Well, in God's written word. They They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, what I want you to understand is that otherwise qualified people could be disqualified because they have no apparent connection to Jesus Christ or no apparent fullness of the Spirit. A lot of times people get all bent out of shape in church because they say, well, you don't recognize my gifting. It says, no, I recognize your gifting. I just don't recognize your holiness. I don't recognize the the fact that, that you are a person who is absolutely head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. That's what I don't recognize. I see talent. I see skill. I see gifting. I see calling. But I just don't see what is most important. That you are connected to, the, to the, the, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the power of Jesus Christ in the fullness of His Spirit. That's what I don't recognize. And that, that can disqualify people. This is why Paul emphasizes first that people should be tested before they're given this level of leadership in the body. On the upside, this is really important for you to hear, people who know Christ who are following after Christ and who are able to solve real-world problems administratively, logistically, in the church, in Paul's estimation, by giving them essentially the same list of qualifications, they're placed on equal spiritual footing with preachers, with singers, with elders, with the people that are more public in their ministry. He puts them on the exact same spiritual level, and that should be encouraging to us all. Amen? In the Old Testament, I love this. This is a great example of what I'm talking about. In the Old Testament, they're about to build the tabernacle, which was the tent where the, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence, was placed. And, and in, in the book of Exodus, it says that they were to, to uh, get this craftsman, a guy who was really handy, could do things with his hands, named Bezalel. And, and this is how the Bible describes him. In fact, God himself says that he was a man who was filled with the Spirit of God, with ability, intelligence, knowledge, and knowledge. For what? 
and all craftsmanship. In other words, what he's saying is he wasn't anointed. Listen carefully. Plumbers, managers, teachers, nurses, listen to me. He wasn't anointed to preach. He wasn't anointed to offer sacrifices. He wasn't anointed to um, lift up prayers on on behalf of the people. He was anointed, full of the Spirit of God, to use his hands in a craft, in a trade. The, The Bible says that he was anointed. This is a direct quote from the book of Exodus. He was anointed to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, to work in silver, to work in bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and carving wood, and to work in every craft. Listen, I've seen this. I, I, I'm not meaning to boast uh, on my own, pro, uh, you know, my own children here, but but um, my son Cameron, he is he's you know he's an art major, and he is anointed for art. I don't get that at all. I I, I mean, gosh, I, I, you know, I, anything I try to draw is an abomination to the Lord, not an anointing. And, and Cameron's really got an anointing on his life to do that. Bezalel teaches us this. Listen to me, plumbers, managers, nurses, teachers, you know, guys working in restaurants, truck drivers. Listen to me. Listen to me. Bezalel teaches us that all of our work, every bit of it, no matter what type of work it is, is both holy and spiritual if it's done to the Lord's glory. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be an evangelist. If you, if you show up to work Monday through Friday and you say, I don't care what I'm here to do, I'm here to do it for the glory of God, you will please God with a spiritual sacrifice. I promise you that. We see this especially evidenced in one of those seven guys that they picked, Stephen, whom the apostles chose. And he's described in our passage that we read today as, get this, you probably saw it earlier, but Stephen in particular is described as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now why is that important? Because think about what he was chosen to do. He was chosen to feed little old ladies. And yet they chose the most spiritual guy in the room to do it. Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, also describes him as full of grace and power. And because of all of this, he was reported as doing great wonders and signs among the people. How many of you could really enjoy being a Stephen at your 9 to 5 job? Man, that's powerful. The same Stephen was no slouch. If you read through chapter 7 of Acts, you'd find that he was the first martyr of the church. And he did it because when he was arrested for all of this good stuff he was doing, because he ticked off the Jewish leaders, he preached a scathing, accusing message to them about how they had rejected Christ. This guy, this waiter, as he died by stoning, as they threw rock after rock at his head, at his body, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And though he had been ordained to distribute food to little old ladies, he was a saint of the highest caliber. The one who carried the honor of being the first one to spill his blood for the name of Jesus Christ. Never, never, never underestimate the importance of fulfilling your call in obedience, no matter what it is to the glory of God. Third, y'all thought I lost my place. Deacons must not only be full of the Holy Spirit, but the Bible says they are to be full of wisdom as well. This shows us that wisdom is vital to being a deacon. First, wisdom is 
is, is obviously required to fulfill the duties that, that are assigned. That's really important. You don't want someone to be a fiscal demon. That's a demon. A fis- uh, we certainly don't want you to be a fiscal demon. I want to be really clear on that point. If I didn't make that point absolutely clear, we do not want to hire you if you're a fiscal demon. But we also don't want you to be a fiscal deacon. Woo, that was so Freudian. Um, we don't want you to be a fiscal deacon if you're the kind of person who is up to your eyeballs in debt and your power gets shut off every other month. It's probably not the place for you. No offense. But there's also a degree. It's not just about, like I said, management, administration, those kind of skills. There's also a degree of spiritual wisdom that is to be expected of deacons. How can you, let me ask you honestly, how can you represent the kingdom of God if you never are invested in his word? How can you even know what the mind of God is if you don't ever even read the scriptures? How can you know how to lead with wisdom if you are never consulting the Lord of the universe in prayer? How can you do that? Don't tell anybody, well, the church doesn't recognize my gifts. Well, if you're not someone who's even pressing in to know the mind of the Lord, wisdom is important. One additional point about who can be a deacon, and i got to admit it's a little controversial. Is that okay? Thanks, Paul. Everybody, the rest? Let's, let's have a vote of the rest of you. Everybody, is it okay if I'm a little controversial? This is a little controversial, but I, I want to make this point. I don't think, and I've really thought through this issue, I don't think that the Scriptures make a clear gender requirement for who can serve as a deacon. I don't think it's there. Uh, some people do. I don't. For example, Paul commends Phoebe, obviously a female. Paul commends Phoebe to the church at Rome, and he calls her, in your ESV Bible, which is what we use here, a servant of the church at Sincrea. The NIV in particular translates that word servant, which is diakonos, as deacon. That's what, that's what the, the NIV, and I tend, to, uh, I tend to believe that translation. There's also, um, that's not all, there's also in 1 Timothy chapter 5, there's a list of, of widows that are, that are enlisted for ministry service that, that seems awful lot like deacons to me. And also in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that we read earlier, Paul lays out, now this is really important, listen to me, he lays out qualifications for deacons' wives, as though the implication is that they would be serving together. Now, he does not make a similar statement to elders' wives earlier in the same chapter. He makes it to deacons' wives. Now, if if we disagree, that's fine. I I love you. You can love me if you want to. But that's just kind of where I'm at with that. Now, what do deacons do? That's that's the more question. We know who they should be. What do they do? Jamie Dunlop, who's the associate pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., wrote a great article. And he says that deacons are shock absorbers and servants. So we stuff them under our cars. No, I'm just kidding. So um, by shock absorbers, he means that deacons, by their faithful and selfless service, facilitate unity in the body of Christ. What does a shock absorber do? When you go flying over those speed bumps, they kind of keep you from hitting your head on the, on the roof of the car. He means that, that they, they kind of smooth out the bumps that the church is going to invariably encounter. Consider Acts chapter 6 again for a second. There was a racially charged, even if unintended, injustice that was causing division within the body of Christ. 
So the, the, the Greek Jews were throwing a penalty flag and they were saying, hey, what about our widows? Why, why are you guys doing this? And, and, and then the, 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 you know, the, the apostles had to say, hey, this could get ugly. We've got to figure out what to do here. So these seven guys come up and, and while some people are getting served and others are, are uh, of a different ethnicity, we're not. And these deacons, using spirit-guided administration skills, were able to right the wrong and remove the disgrace from the cause of the gospel. Wow. Now, is that an important ministry or not? I think a lot of problems in churches, a lot of hurt feelings in churches could be smoothed over with a good handful of godly deacons that were running interference for the body of Christ. I'd love to see that happen. Deacons help to maintain unity and peace in the church in at least two ways. First of all, by faithfully serving with excellence. What does that mean? It means that they discover... And they alleviate distracting problems as they come up in the church. Did you know if you're a person that loves Jesus and loves this church, but, but you know there's something you say, you know, it really bugs me that Northridge Life Church does this. And I wish that we could do that differently. And if we could do it this way, and maybe you even have a solution in mind, did you know that, that just that impulse might be the Lord kind of nudging you in this kind of ministry? Because we need people who can, who can you know, find what the problems are, especially the ones that are distracting to our mission, and say, I can fix that. I know how to fix that. And, and, and men, we're going to get out of your way and let you fix it. Second, they, they, they do this, they preserve unity by being an advocate for the church and its leadership. What the devil loves to do the most is to insert people and if I, were, if I were being honest with you, the Bible in the New Testament calls these kind of people wolves. It, the devil loves to insert people into an otherwise peaceful fellowship to, to spread discontent and gossip and all kinds of things. And, and deacons are great at going after those kind of wolves. Tom Rainer, who I really respect, he, in fact, a lot of you are reading his book on church membership, he says that part of a deacon's responsibility is to deal with critics, conflict, and bullies, and thereby taking the burden of, off the pastor and the church staff. That means that a guy who is willing, when he hears trouble brewing, that he says, hey, wait, hold on, I don't think you got your facts straight. And even if you do have your facts straight, I think you need to go right to that person and talk to him and stop spreading that kind of poison gossip around here. That's a great qualification for a deacon. Great qualification. But the deacon's main calling is to live as a model. And that word model is really critical. It's a model of servanthood. The reason I say model of servanthood is because we know from the teaching of Jesus himself that every single believer, Judy even said it earlier today in, a, in, a, in the term of our finances, every believer is called to serve in one way or another. Jesus told us that. The greatest among us would be the servant of all. He told us that. But the deacons play an even more significant role in this area of church life. God has called, let me just kind of break it down for you one more time. God's called elders to make directional decisions under the guidance of Jesus, directional decisions for the church, and to cast a God-exalting vision. Qualified, spirit-filled deacons Wise deacons, they come along and they show the church how to best facilitate that vision efficiently and effectively. And then the remaining members of the congregation then take up the vision and they do it as directed by the deacons. Elders strive to hear what God would have us do. And the deacons, their anointing is to show us how to do it. They show us how to get from A to B. The elders just say, I think we need to be at B. And the elders say, let me show you how to get that from A to B. So we have to ask ourselves. That's the question we're faced with today. Does Northridge Life Church need deacons? Let me try this side. Does Northridge Life Church need deacons? 
I would wholeheartedly agree and say, yes, we do, in every way. The church cannot function. Listen, sometimes we try to like modernize things that are written in Scripture. That's a bad idea. We, we don't need to, to you know, rethink things that are, that are written in Scripture. The church cannot function, in my opinion, if it neglects to embrace what God has ordained for her best. Amen? This can be confusing when I say this. In fact, some of you had a very visceral reaction the first moment in this message when you heard me use the word deacon. Don't raise your hands, but some of you did. Why? Because some of you were raised in churches where guys called deacons did the work of elders. And some of you where guys called elders did the work of deacons. And some of you had do-it-all pastors that made absolutely no room whatsoever for anybody else's gifts and abilities. And I'm telling you right now, I'm on the record, this is being recorded, I do not want to lead that way. I don't. I don't want to be the only guy doing everything. And some of you had no church background at all, so you don't have any context what I'm talking about at all. Some of you have had deacons in the past or association with deacons that, that is a very negative association with you. That is not what the Holy Spirit wants you to get out of this. He wants you to see what God intended, not what you have experienced. Amen? Stay with me. Remember, just because something's been done poorly elsewhere doesn't give us the right not to do it at all. Fair enough? Since I have been a part of this congregation, it's been almost 10 years next year, our congregation has never had actual deacons. I'm not criticizing that. It's just something a lot of churches are in that place. Although we have had positions that were similar in function, if not name, I really think it's time. If I can do my elder duty and cast a little vision, I think it's time for us to fix this so that we can be the kind of church that pleases the Lord and ministers effectively. Would you guys all be on board with that? It's time for us to build a biblical deacon's ministry here. What will that look like? It looked like people of great character who love Jesus, who are full of the Holy Spirit and have all kinds of abilities and wisdom that they're willing to put to use for the glory of God and for the gospel. And I know there's a bunch of you out there. Is that person you? Well, how would I know if it is, Mark? Well, let me ask you, just, just a small sampling. What do you know about computers? What do you know about hospitality? What do you know about lawn maintenance? What do you know about prayer? What do you know about finance? What do you know about encouragement? What do you know about child care? What do you know about sound and lighting? What do you know about evangelism? What do you know about decorating? Or a thousand other things that could shape our future. You had no idea that those things were important in the kingdom of God, did you? And a thousand others. But they are. They are important. A great deacon doesn't wait around until they're asked to serve. One thing I've found about elders and deacons is you pick uh, guys and ladies, in the case of deacons, to do this that are already doing it, even without the title. Those make the best kind of elders and deacons. Did you know that? And so a great deacon doesn't wait around until they're asked to serve. They honestly assess what they can bring to the table, and they surrender it to the church to be used for the good of everyone. A great deacon is creative. A great deacon is innovative. They listen carefully for the vision to be stated, and they realize how their unique giftings can be used to move it forward for the benefit of the gospel and the kingdom of God. Even greater deacons make it known that they want to serve. They tell the elders that they know what their gifts are, they share their gifts, and, and they let us decide how they can be most helpful. But regardless of that, they're just in there doing it. But don't forget, because I don't want to imply that, that if you're willing to serve, that you're all automatically, we're going to do one of these things over you, and you're all automatically a deacon. Don't forget what I said earlier, that character, 
The deep faith and the wisdom are the three legs that support a deacon's ministry. Character, deep faith, and wisdom. And if you are deficient in any one of those, your ministry will be less than effective and you will be less than beneficial to the church that you're trying to serve. doesn't mean perfect. None of us are perfect. But it doesn't mean, if I say that, that you'd be deficient. That's not to scare you off. It doesn't mean that you can never serve. It just means that you can't lead as a deacon until you address your critical deficiency in those areas. Let me, let me help you with that a little bit. If you're lacking in integrity and holiness, ask the Holy Spirit to work in you to make you the person that you need to be in order to serve him well. I love first, or Second Timothy rather 2.21. It says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, From what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. So if you see some rotten stuff in you, I'm not saying, no, we don't need you. I'm saying, hey, get rid of the rotten stuff. Let the Holy Spirit, remember we said that we're looking for men and women that are full of the Holy Spirit? Let the Holy Spirit just just begin to remove all that yuck out of you. So that you can be a master or, or, or a vessel useful in the master's house. Did you know he can do that? Did you know he wants to do that? Did you know that's what the gospel is all about? Is him doing that? Second, if you're lacking in deep faith, draw close to God by looking into his word and looking to him in prayer. You cannot spend time with God in the word and prayer without drawing close to him. And in doing so, you're not only going to draw close to him, you're going to actually become more like him. You are. James 4.8 says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Is that not a great promise? We're never, listen to me, you are never chasing God. If you step this way, he doesn't step that way. The more we step towards him, the closer he steps towards us. You're never chasing God. You're never chasing God. God is coming towards you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Well, you know, what if I lack wisdom? I don't even know where, how to serve. Well, guess what? Ask God. Ask Him. Ask Him right now. Ask Him this morning. He promises to respond. He promises to. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. This is great. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you need wisdom, you ask, and the Lord will give you what you ask for. That's a great promise. I'm not suggesting, so don't get nervous, I'm not suggesting that all of you should be deacons. Surely not everyone here is qualified. What I am saying is, please, don't disqualify yourself before you ask the Lord. If you feel like the Lord might have spoken to you this morning in listening to what I was sharing, maybe about helping Northwood's Life launch a great deacon's ministry, here's what I want you to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an opportunity to respond. If you say, hey, I've got this skill set, and I want to give it to the Lord to use for the kingdom of God. This isn't automatic. We're not gonna, we, we, we still need to check your qualifications, but I'd like for you to put that on one of these cards with some contact information and say, hey, look, I, and, and maybe you say, I don't know how I can serve, but I really feel like this may be a place where I can serve in our church. I want you to fill this out and let us... Let us kind of assess that. And let's start here. This, like I said, there's no guarantee that, that we're going to pick you. I don't want to make a false promise to you, but we want to know who's interested here. So just do that. There's a black box in the back of the, of the building, and if you feel like that's someplace where you could serve and you're qualified to serve and you wouldn't be on sitting down and talking to us, then give us a chance to re- uh, We're giving you a chance to respond. So I don't see a lot of you pulling out white cards. So anyway, so get to it.
This is, this is your opportunity. This church cannot be led by four elders and nobody else. That should have gotten the biggest amen I've gotten all morning long. This church cannot be led by four elders and nobody else. This church cannot be led by four elders and nobody else. I still think we could do better than that. So this is going to be your last chance. Don't leave me disappointed. This church cannot be led by four elders and nobody else. Thank you. Thank you. So step up. If you want to serve, but you see the deficiencies that would be problematic, don't quit. Don't quit. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor David. Talk to Daryl. Talk to Don. Talk to us and let us help you discover how God wants you to move forward in the call that God might have you have for you in this ministry. Because I know that some of you are going to be great deacons, great deacons, phenomenal deacons. So I might just be calling on you, giving you a little nudge because I think you can do it. One last thing, one last point I want to make in Acts chapter 6. Watch this. Problem arose. Seven guys were picked. Seven men of great dispute, of great repute, rather. Boy, I'm just really messed up. These demons had great dispute this morning. So these deacons had great repute. And I'm going to, David, don't put this on the internet until I edit the heck out of it, okay? But watch this. So they picked these guys, and this is the testimony after all this was done. After the church got this portion of their leadership in order. They had great apostles who kind of played the role of elders, and then they picked these deacons, and watch what happens. This is great. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase. Problem addressed, problem solved, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Lubbock, Texas. Greatly in Lubbock, Texas. And many, a great many of the priests, that's Jewish priests who had nothing to do with Jesus, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, to the gospel. You want to see this church be ready to receive a harvest of souls, get a bunch of anointed deacons to step up and start removing speed bumps, start being shock absorbers in here, start seeing the distracting problems and removing them. And I'm telling you, there will be nothing stopping us. Nothing. So it's time. Step up. It's time. It's time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness, your mercy, your, your wonder. Lord, we thank you that, that you have, uh, have a place for many of us, Lord, in, in the leadership of our church, God, that, that gives us greater levels of ownership. So, Lord, I pray right now as I'm praying this prayer right now, Lord, I pray that not only that you would encourage people, but that you would convict them that it's time to take their place of ownership and leadership at Northridge Life Church, Lord God. Some that may even have uh, problems that they're certain disqualify them, Lord God. I pray that they would engage you and, and begin to, to speak about even those things so that they can be um, ready and prepared for a greater level of ministry as they surrender and are discipled into your gospel, Lord. Father, I pray that you would raise up an incredible, awesome team of deacons here, Lord, that will help us get to where we're going, Lord God. God, that will bring glory to your name by, by solving problems. God, that we might be able to identify, but we don't have the skills to solve, Lord. That, that you would raise up guys to come hand in hand with the elders, Lord God, and help us to, to defeat uh, the things that are trying to um, work against us, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, we, we give you praise. We thank you for not, what, not only what you have done, but what you're going to do. And we surrender this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.